Hello, hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you are joining us. Welcome to the S1 Tom Chat. Yes, it is a play on words on that uh, famous American airplane. Uh, and this is the inaugural episode. And I am so pleased, so pleased to uh, have on the show Mr. Brian Honan. Brian, how are you? I'm very good, Tom, and thanks for having me on the inaugural show. We can set the standard that everybody has to achieve from here. From here exactly. <laughs> exactly. The only way is up, right? That is absolutely true, yes, you know. <laughs> So, so Brian, Brian is uh, well known in the information security industry. He is, runs his own company, BH Consulting, based out of uh, Dublin, Ireland. He has also established or co-established the uh, Iris, the Irish CERT, as well as runs IrisCon, which is the annual conference that raises funds for the CERT. He was also a uh, an assistant, an assistant, is that right? No, you weren't an assistant, advisor. you were an advisor. Yeah. Advisor, thank you, an advisor to Europol. Mm-hmm. Um, and they loved him so much, they asked him back. Uh, so you were there for two stints, I, be- I believe it was. And generally, just an all-round good egg mentor <laughs> and you know supporter of people all around, myself included. Um, so, Brian, how do you do it all? Just do it, I uh, uh... I don't know is the is the honest answer uh tom like my my mother always had a saying if you want to get something done give to somebody who's busy because uh, they'll, they'll always find some way to do it so yeah okay I, I think i'm very yeah. i count myself being very lucky to work in an industry i enjoy in a job i enjoy and uh many things i do is is, is my way of giving back yeah absolutely and i think it's important isn't it because i think we hear uh, just to jump straight into it, we hear an awful lot and a lot of CISOs and industry professionals complaining about the skills gap yeah. and how there aren't enough people in the in the, in the industry and we could do so much more, etc. And frankly, nobody or very few of them are doing anything about it. Very few of them are mentoring people, are encouraging people from diverse backgrounds, yeah. um, you know, socioeconomic as, as well as ethnic, etc. Um, uh, encouraging people to, to speak up at conferences and get their voices heard. And yet that's something that uh, exactly that you do. I know you're, you know, an early supporter of B-Sides, this mm-hmm. side of the pond. Uh, that's the B-Sides conferences. Uh, I know, you know, with IrisCon, you get a very wide range of people on there from from the, the very experienced speakers all the way down to people who've never spoken before. Yeah. Uh, and I also know that you're extremely generous with your time as well. But that's what helps keep uh, attract people and keep people in the industry, right? It does. And I suppose, uh, I suppose I'm of a generation that got involved in cybersecurity when it wasn't an industry. You know, uh, I've been involved in, in IT for over 30 years. Uh, and back then security wasn't really something that people thought about from an IT point of view. IT was the, or these cool machines just to keep working. And to be quite frank, I never wanted, or when I was young and younger, uh, about to leave school, etc., I never thought about a career in computers. I wanted to be uh, a policeman. I wanted to join the Irish police force. And because I've always had this thing that we're, we're here to make the world a better place. And if you can leave the world behind you after you've done your 
X number of years here, and you've contributed in some small way to make it a better place. Well, then you've done you've done your job. And when I was younger, I thought that's the you know that was the career for me to, to get there. But never actually got into the, to to join uh, the the police. Uh, but security, from a technical point of view, and how it did attract me in, and then I started getting involved from a, to sort of say. Like my involvement in security back in the day wasn't to break things to find out how to, to get into them. It was to break things to see how do we fix it to make it safer and better and, and more secure. And that started way back in the late 80s, early 90s when I got, first got involved in my first IT job. And uh, over my career, I've kind of always had that interest and focus. And then when I set my own business up, I said to myself, this is my opportunity to spend my time the way I want to spend my time. And if we can encourage more people into the industry, this is the way we're going to make the world a safer place. Uh, and, you know, sometimes I do lament maybe the current cybersecurity industry in, in that it has become an industry. So it has become a career. Yeah. In order to get into cybersecurity, you have to have a degree. You have to have this. You have to have that, and it becomes a uh, it becomes a job. It becomes a way to make money. And I'm not saying it. Uh, trust me, I, I I don't have any objection to making money, but if that is your motivation, well then, it's yes, the wrong one. you you can have a successful career in in this business. But are you going to leave a mark behind you? Are you going to leave? Yeah. Uh, the world a better place and i think by encouraging others to join the industry and and, and expanding it out to to being uh all encompassing and as welcome as we can and we, we still have a lot of challenges there uh that that we can address the skills gap because you know my opinion is we don't need somebody with a computer degree to it doesn't no. mean that they're going to be a good security person there, there's a lot more involved in good security people and what qualifications they hold. Absolutely. You know, and we both know people who had zero qualifications on, on that front and have made excellent InfoSec people. Yep. Um, Lee Munson, for instance, Absolutely. I know he worked with you for a while. He yep. worked with me for a while. Um, you know, and then when he got all the uh, all, all, all the skills that he needed, he left us both and went somewhere else. Which is what we uh, but, Yeah, this is what Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I mean, his tea was terrible, let's face it. You never but, made um, tea, Tom. Did he not? No, what's up with uh, you, you, just, you just didn't train them right. What can I say? No, but actually, <laughs> Lee is a perfect example. So Lee was yes, somebody he, working. Yeah. Those of you who don't know Lee, Lee Munson is a great guy. He is better known on Twitter as Security FAQ, and he had his own blog back, at the, back in the day. And Lee had this knack for changing and explaining complicated technical cybersecurity issues into plain language that ordinary people could understand. And when I yeah. first met Lee, I actually thought he worked in cybersecurity. Yeah, and yeah, I, absolutely. I thought he had a career. And when then, he saw that blog. Yeah. yeah. And then he announced from his blog that he was giving it up because he wasn't making enough money from the blog to, to pay for the hosting of the blog. And he had a full-time job in retail that he needed to look after. And I'm going, what do you mean he doesn't and work two in security? Kids. And two kids. You know, so like yeah. Lee is actually one of my heroes for how he has looked at, at getting into the in, in industry. And I like to think, you know, I just gave him uh, uh, a leg up in that 
I said, look, Lee, I will pay you to be my uh, work with me on our blog and manage our blog so that you can keep FAQ, security FAQ going and you're getting some, some good money out of that. And, and thankfully, then, Tom, yeah. you came along and, 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 and took him on and Lee has moved on to, to great things. But Lee is a great example of he tried the traditional route. He was going for job interviews and he, because he didn't have the qualifications that the HR five years experience the years yeah. experience that he, he was being turned down but he actually is one of the best people we know out there from uh, awareness raising and getting the message across to, to people uh, so it you know it's this is why we do have the like Lee is actually a good example of why we have a skills gap if you're looking yes. if we're looking for people with X amount of certifications X number of years well, of course, there's going to be a skills gap because there's not that many people out there. But if you open up your uh, recruitment, uh, you know, take off the blinkers and, 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 and broaden your vision to having a look at other aspects and other areas, like people in sales and marketing would be fantastic in cybersecurity. People, you know, the thing yeah. of a salesperson, for them to get through all those people to get to, t- to make a sale to somebody, they have to do a whole lot of social engineering to... to, to to, to get through those gatekeepers. Same with marketeers. They have to get messages across to, to promote their brands. Brilliant for security awareness. Uh, take people from different backgrounds, uh, ethnical backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds. They bring so much diversity and richness to, 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 the, to us that we can bring them in. But if we have this narrow focus of certifications, degrees, X amount of years, well, yes, we're going to be all fighting over limited pool. But there's so many people out there that we need to open our eyes to and, and welcome into the industry and, and support them and, and, and encourage them to get involved. Because to me, one of the biggest things you need for cybersecurity uh, and a, a long-term career is passion for the topic. Uh, yeah, passion, yeah. absolutely. Passion and values. You yeah. can teach technology. Yeah, you can absolutely. teach the, the specific skills. It's that passion, values, culture, etc. The thing that really uh, pissed me off, actually, was when, when he was working for me, I was chatting to him, was he said the number of people, the number of CISOs or security folks, who said, yeah, great, you know, give me a CV, I'll get you on board, etc. And it was like, oh, well, you didn't have enough experience. Yeah. You know, you can't do it. And that's coming from the security people who knew who he was, knew where he came from. You know, and then we're almost cowed by HR, for want of a better term, because not qualified. And I think that's that frustrated me because if if not you, Mister CISO, then who? You know, if you're not going to ma- move that needle a little bit. Okay, well, Tom, I will tell you something right here, right now. If I applied for the majority of cybersecurity jobs out there, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. Would, not, I would not qualify. I know, I know, I right? Don't have a, yeah, I, me too. I don't have any degrees relating to computers. Yeah, so straight away, the HR person is going to look at my CV and go, uh, no, doesn't qualify, you know? Yeah, I've got a third-class degree, you know? <laughs> so I, do, I've, I virtually, I, I, I could have randomly answered questions and probably done better in my in my degree course, you know? But, but yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and you know, if, if you didn't get that first job in security, you know, whatever, yeah. because of your qualifications... Everybody would have been, you know, the whole industry would have been that much poorer as a result. Well, I, I only got into, you know, I'm from the lucky generation in that we got involved in IT because we were interested in, in it and 
if you showed an aptitude, the coolest toy to have. Yeah, if you showed an aptitude regarding computers, you, you're pretty much given a job. Oh, you take you know, you go and, and look after that stuff. We're doing the important things. We're over in accounts or underwriting or, yeah. or whatever. You know? <laughs> right, we're, yeah. we're, we're doing the real business. You go, you go take her off that stuff, you know. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I think, uh, you know, the um, what, what did it say? The, the the geek shall inherit the earth. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think, think that's, was what it, that's what it came around as, yeah. right? You know, so what about your work with, you know, Europol, for instance? I yep. mean, is, do you get invited to do that? Or do you enter a raffle? I mean, what's the, <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's that these all black about? And these if, black helicopters came down and took and yeah. me away. <laughs> No, it was... Mr. Honan, you have to come with us right now. Yeah. No, Europol advertised that they were looking for people to join a, their, an advisory board. Um, and I applied. And thankfully, they they selected me based on uh, on my experience and how I answered the questions that they asked. And the role was to take part uh, in a, uh, their, their special advisory group to, to give them insights into what industry seen from a cybercrime perspective and uh, what challenges were seen and, and and just liaison with Europol and, and through Europol then with the various police forces to figure out how can we all work better together to tackle cybercrime and, and, and criminals because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you know, cybersecurity gives you that unique job role in, in that you your job is to secure assets belonging to uh, an organization whether that's private sector or public sector against people who are out there to cause harm uh, one thing that frustrates me is that we view cyber criminals as as cuddly geeks you know or, or, or you know yeah. ash are there only a bunch of, of misguided children or misguided kids who who, who know about hacking these are They're criminals. off having a crack. The, the, these, yeah. these are criminals. These are people who will hurt you, uh, and don't and don't care about. It. And, and you know, we we threw our arms up in horror during the past twelve months when we saw ransomware attacks against uh, hospitals and uh, medical research research facilities for uh, against COVID and and, and against schools and etc. Going, oh my God, how how could people do that? It's because they're criminals. They don't care. Because there's money involved. There's money yeah, involved, that's right. And they don't care how they get money. These are people. That's right. You know, I have, I have a very, in one of the talks I gave when I talk about cyber criminals, I ha- actually have a picture of Romanian police arresting cyber criminals. And the cyber yeah. crim- the, the picture has a bunch of people with balaclavas and guns and then guys in shorts and T-shirts. And uh, I, I say the people wearing the balaclavas are the police the people you know so they're not the bad guys the bad guys are the guy are the people in the in the t-shirts who look normal but you don't wear yeah. balaclavas carry guns and wear flak jackets to arrest somebody who you think is harmless you know the, the, yeah arrest some scally who's just you know exactly, nicked a car yeah, for an evening the, the, or whatever these yeah. are hardened hardened criminals and uh i think we need to get that message across that that so that people can understand that the threat we're dealing with is real and it's not just computers attacking computers or misguided teenagers uh, having well, the, having uh, kick, kicks and giggles, you know? Yeah, or the, or the victimless crime concept, you know, because yes. I think a lot of people will see crimes in those sorts of crimes in, in isolation. Oh, this just happened, this just happened. What they don't get is, one, how they're interconnected very, very often anyway, but also 
the other crimes that they help fund as a result of that. So the trafficking and the yeah. and the, the drugs distribution and the you know the the terrorism and yeah. all that sort of stuff. And there is, there is no such uh, thing as a victimless crime. Like if 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 I want yeah. to <laughs> pick your pocket uh, and and take the five pound note that you've treasured so long for so long in it <laughs> no, <but seriously. laughs> when did you last see my payroll my pay packet Blimey. <laughs> no but seriously if, if 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 somebody is mugged or are robbed of a hundred quid or a thousand pounds or however much it is in the physical world robbing at the same amount in through their credit card or the bank account is still the same impact it's still a victim at the end of the day and that's the mm. the individual victims uh you made a very good point there about, you know, it funds other crime, but other crime also funds cybercrime because criminals will, you know, one of the reasons criminals want to fish your banking, uh, your bank details or to lure people into money mule scams is they want to launder money they've raised in, in, in other crime, be that drugs or uh, anything else. And using your bank account, to put their ill-gotten gains through is one way for them to uh, uh, to, to launder their money. So, you know, we do need to think cybercrime is it's a real issue. And in many cases, I, I argue we should just drop the word cyber. It's crime. Yeah, yeah, ab- you know, absolutely. And we don't have cybercriminals, we've got criminals. I mean, look at the um, the ransomware in that German hospital recently, where yeah. the, the German police are actually treating the outcome of that, which was a patient dying, um, as murder. Right? Is it? No, no I, I think I, I'm right. I, uh, or, or is it manslaughter? No, the, or the, the equivalent the, of manslaughter. That was the original headlines, Tom. But since then, uh, you know, you may want to cut this part. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Well, anyway, go. but there were the initial headlines. Uh, that the hospital had been hit by ransomware, so the patient died as a result of having to be redirected to another hospital in the ambulance. And she, uh, but subsequent examination has has highlighted that most likely the person would have died regardless of whether the hospital was available or not. But look, cybercrime is going to have real world and it does have real world consequences it's just that we 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 tend to ignore it It, there's there's a financial impact it has on companies uh you know we i've dealt with companies that have been hacked or been ransomed and the 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 impact it has on their business uh both from a financial point of view but from a uh stress uh and everything else it's 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 quite significant uh and that you know, if you take all that uh, that it has on our economies, uh, it's 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 even bigger than. And then, as you highlighted, Tom, where you, where we have all this uh, money coming from uh, cyber crime, crime uh, into into criminal gangs, that's funding them, funding them to be more capable either in conducting more attacks online or uh, funding other criminal activities, be that. Uh, uh, in the physical world, f- physical world, uh, etc. You know, and and the two yeah. are blending. We are seeing criminals using uh, cyber attacks to cover real world attacks. You, you, yeah. You've seen, you know, there's been attacks against uh, port authorities and, and 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 the systems they use for shipping to to 
smuggle containers full of people for human trafficking. So yeah, yeah, this is serious business. Absolutely, and as you say, just criminals. Just simplify yeah. the whole thing, right, and yeah. make make it uh, a lot clearer, and take away the fluffiness from it. Take away exactly. the, that 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 impression that it is, as you say, just a bunch of teenagers on a, on a computer. Yeah. So. I think I know. I think I probably know the answer to this. You work with Europol, and you're seeing things from you know quite literally the criminal side mm. of the world, as it were, rather than just the corporate side. Did that very much influence how you dealt with your own clients at BH Consulting? Did that change and evolve your own approach? Uh, not necessarily. No, uh, uh, it, it, it would have a, a, an influence, but. Over the years, you know, from establishing our research, which was the first uh, computer emergency response team here here in Ireland, uh, and through that, getting uh, involved in the CERT community, uh, you get involved in lots of trusted networks where you do get uh, insight into, into, into what's happening down in the deep, dark bowels of the in- internet and there's lots of good information sharing going on there's lots of very good people around the world giving up a lot of their free time to 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 to, to, to fight against the these criminal gangs so you would have i would, would have had a lot of that knowledge as well but working with europol does give you an insight into how police forces work and what it really highlighted to me was why it's so important for us to share information about when there's been uh, a cyber attack or been a breach. Uh, if we don't report crime, then the police don't have a report of that crime on their books. And that goes up to politicians to, to give funding to police forces. They're going to go, well, what cyber crime have you had? Oh, we've had, there's no cyber crime because there's been no report of cyber crime. And that, that's a self-fulfilling problem then because there's no perceived uh, at political level or at senior management within police forces that cybercrime is a problem, then resources go elsewhere where the problem is seen to be there. So one reason we need to report cybercrime is to support our local police in getting them the, the, the information they need. But more importantly, and this is where Europol play a critical role, people often say, why should I bother reporting this crime? Why should I? You know, I got hit by a ransomware. Why should I... You know, I've dealt with it, I've restored my backups or whatever. Why should I report to the police? They're probably not going to get the guys behind this anyway. So what's the point? The point is that Europol acts as a very much like an intelligence uh, sorting facility or an agency for all the police forces. So you report your, uh, your breach to your local police. Details of that are sent up to Europol. Now, this is obviously if, if you're within the EU uh, because Europol is an EU agency, but that information then is, is shared shared with local police forces all the way up to Europol, who then have this big picture puzzle, if you like, of at a, at a higher level. And the bits of information they get from your breach could be that one, that could be the IP address or the Bitcoin wallet or the email address or just that tiny amount tiny of information that, that they need. unlocks another part of the puzzle that Europol yeah. can then put everything together and go, now we can put a, a, an operation together with police forces around the world to target this criminal gang because we have more information and intel that we can do it. So reporting cybercrime, to me, is one of the biggest things we can do 
to help fight against crime rather than just sort of saying, ah, well, you know, that happened. No point reporting yeah. to the police because they're never going to get the person behind this. They may not, and they probably won't. But the information you give, as the A, supports the argument to get better funding for your police force, but secondly, it gives intel back to other police forces that they can put together for a bigger picture to, to, to tackle the people behind this. Because I, I, I recognise I recognize where that behaviour comes from, though, because I've reported things to you know, the UK's action fraud yeah. and all that sort of stuff, and nothing, complete radio silence. You yeah. might as well be shouting at the moon. But, as you say, it's going somewhere. It is. It's, you yeah. know, it's, it's making that counter go up by one step, you know, somewhere that will hopefully help build a case for money or a case towards a prosecution yeah. somewhere else. So we shouldn't see that lack of, of response as, a, as necessarily a lack of interest or Absolutely. ability. And I was just going to make that point, Tom. Thank you for, for highlighting, because what law enforcement have to be very careful about as well is that they don't undermine any operations they're working on themselves. Yes. So if yeah. they're coming back giving you update on your particular issue and you're going, you then go down and to your local uh, security group meeting or meet the lads in the public. Oh, yeah, I reported cybercrime and look, they've identified this person in such a place and they're, they're thinking of launching an operation. Well, then suddenly the word gets out and the whole thing, <laughs> you know. Well, you blog about it. Yeah. And so the police can't, you know, in very, in very, many cases are very restricted what information they can share back. But I will say you see police forces now being a, bit, a lot more proactive in what they're trying to do, even from an awareness raising point of view. Like I see the Angarda Shiakana here in Ireland, I see they're doing great work on social media in trying to push out a lot of good material on alerting people to scams or fraud that's happening or how to protect themselves online. Europol themselves on their website have loads of inf great information uh, on awareness training in, and, and awareness raising in different languages as well. So, and, and it's free, you know, and, and many police forces, be that in the UK or other parts of, uh, you know, and other police forces within the EU, likewise, are doing a lot more proactive stuff there. And yeah. they're celebrating their, their stuff now as well. If you keep an eye on the Europol, uh, uh, Twitter account, you see them regularly posting this operation. We managed to shut down this criminal gang, and you know that shows you progress has been made. You know, yeah, very important, very important. So, um, I want to give you a chance to talk briefly about uh, Iris Con itself. I'm Irish. We don't talk briefly, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> well, given given we're 27 minutes in, and I think I've said about four words, you know, but. Uh... <laughs> And that, and with you, that's an achievement. Yeah, that's right. yeah, exactly, exactly. But I want to talk about IrisCon because yeah. you know what many people don't know is that most certs are, you know, are staffed by volunteers. Uh, you know, are paid for through donations and things like that. They're not always nationally supported. Yeah, I suppose IrisCert we are unique in that we are self-supported and we're volunteers. Uh, so yeah. we have no funding from anybody uh, to keep it going. So we are not not for profit voluntary organization. So we are rather unique. Most certs are funded in some way by their government or, or, or otherwise. Uh, so we have to, you know, we we have bills to pay. E even yeah. hosting a website or 
uh, anything else. And as a not-for-profit organization, we have to pay for our accounts to be audited, even though we might not have a whole lot of money. We still have to pay <laughs> yeah, so, money to do that. So we need yeah. money to, to come in and, uh, and cover, <clears throat> cover those. So uh, what we try and do is once a year, uh, unfortunately last year we had to cancel because of COVID, uh, but we do run our IrisCon Cybercrime Conference and uh, lots of people such as yourself have been very generous in their time in coming over and speaking at the conference. And the conference, it, the whole purpose of the conference is to make people more aware of what's happening and what issues are happening from a, a cybercrime point of view. So, we, we, you know, we've had speakers from... Uh, various different agencies around the, you know, Inisa has, has spoken. We've had uh, uh, people from U, uh, uh, U.S. law enforcement. We've, we've had speakers from Europol in the past, uh, from Angarishi Corner. We, uh, we even had uh, uh, the last conference we had in tw 2019 with Mick Morn, who's ex-Interpol, talking about how we as IT system administrators can help tackle uh, the purge of child sexual uh, abuse material that's online as well and you know we've lots of very good people like that who, who come along and it's to raise awareness of uh what's what's out there it's also a way for people to network with each other uh you know we we are a neutral zone so we're, we do look for sponsorship so uh, anybody out there who's looking to sponsor a conference this year which probably will be one of the very few in-person conferences in 2021. <laughs> That's right. Just to get, That's try right. to drop in my ad there, Tom. But uh, uh, please do. We've all got a book to sell. Yeah. <laughs> please, <laughs> please do, 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 do look me up. But uh, uh, it's it's all the speakers are are neutral. Even the sponsors, we say, you're not. this is not a sales and marketing pitch. Yeah. It, it's educational. Yeah, yeah. So it creates a good atmosphere for people to, to talk to each other. In parallel, we actually run a capture the flag competition and mm -hmm. uh somebody once uh uh joked about it. it's 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 an opportunity for the suits and ties to meet the t-shirts you know yes and, and yeah. it's actually very good because the team that worked with us on putting up the uh capture the flag who, who come from ibm uh and big thank you to ibm for 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 supporting us over the years with this is that uh they set up the the system to be like a corporate environment so yeah. you have CISOs and IT security people coming in to talk to for the conference facilities, and then they're going into a room where they can see people actually attack the latest vulnerabilities to demonstrate, look, if you're not patching your vulnerabilities or managing your vulnerabilities in such a way, this is how... This, this is what's going to happen. This is what's yeah. going to happen. So, yeah, look, it's, it's a, I like to think it's a, it's, a, it's a good open conference that people can, you know, have a good opportunity to network and socialize with as well, you know? I mean, two things for me stand out for it. One is it's, it's a single track conference, but virtually every single talk, the room is completely packed. And the it's a small the, room. <laughs> standing room only. You took all the chairs out. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> no, but it's completely no, packed. And, yeah. and the hallway track, which is often, I mean, if you go to any conference, the hallway track, i.e., outside the, the, the individual. 
yeah. uh, rooms, etc., is normally very, very popular. Here it's not. I mean, it's the talks. People come for the talks. And one of the reasons for that is the caliber of speakers that you, you get is extremely high across the board. Uh, and I'm, I'm, believe it or not, I'm not about to launch into a joke because I've spoken there three times already. But, <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> but no, but um, you, you look around and you, you get, you know, people... Uh, extremely well-known speakers from very high-profile companies who come and basically donate their time um, to to do a talk that normally, you know, people would charge thousands and thousands for. And I and I think, you know, if I may, that's down to very much down to your own ethos of, you know, networking with people and leading by example from that supporting and mentoring and actually contributing to the community. Um, and I would recommend anybody here who's who's listening, check out the show notes for the website. Um, see if you can attend. Uh, it's normally November time, isn't it? So It's November the 18th November this time. year. So it's November the 18th, Thursday, November the 18th. And uh, it's uh, for the really, really uh, knockdown deal of 50 euro attendees. So uh, it's a uh, good value for money. <laughs> So, yes, folks, please do attend IrisCon if you can. 50 euros. I mean, come on. That's nothing. You could find that down the back of the sofa, really. Uh, Brian, uh, we're going to draw to a close now. Thank you so much for your time and contributions. We'll oh, make sure you. that uh, all of the links that you mentioned are in the show notes um, and people can uh, take a look around. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, register for IrisCon when it comes up. Uh, and we can all see each other like a, a big, happy podcast inaugural episode uh, family at IrisCon at some point. Brian, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Tom. It's been a, been a pleasure. Thank you, folks. Thank you for listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed this inaugural episode of the S1 Tom Chat, and uh, we will see you next time. Thank you very much. Coming up on the next episode of the S1 Tom Chat, Jim Shields unwittingly shares his personal information. Wow. Um, giving away my age now, that's, that company was 28 years old in January. And Tom gets in touch with his inner creative lobby. Is this a good time to plug the book? <laughs> <laughs>